podcast is brought to you by Welcome to this week's episode of Watch This or Die podcast. We are thrilled that you've decided to join us again. I'm Scott Crowshar. And I'm Matt LaPlante. And we will be your host on this cinematic journey. Now, each week we will be recommending a movie to you that we absolutely fucking love. And we think you will too. So for the next hour or so, we're going to do our best to convince you to go and watch this movie. Because your life might just depend on it. Now, without further ado, the movie we are recommending to you this week is Midnight Special. Police issued an Amber Alert for an eight-year-old boy. He was abducted from his home near El Dorado, Texas. It's time. You ready? Yeah. Okay. What do you know about Alton Meyer? I wouldn't know where to start. You would have fits. Things would break. It was like a feeling. Kind of feeling. We need to know where he is. You all have no clue what you're dealing with, do you? This just in, we here at Watch This or Die podcast believe that we have enough information to call the 2020 presidential election for Quentin Tarantino and his running mate, Uma Thurman. That is correct. Watch This or Die has enough evidence to believe that Quentin Tarantino will be the 46th president of the United States. If only that was our reality here in 2020. <laughs> It'd be fucking great. <laughs> we have a president here in the United States. Well, we have one who's won. We have one who can't stop crying. We have a fiasco. But that's, <laughs> that's not what we're going to cover. No. However, we do want to wish all of you listening to us a very happy Thanksgiving as it is the day after. We hope that you're Black Friday shopping. If you're listening to us while you're Black Friday shopping uh, for COVID-19 to pass around to the rest of your family and friends, we hope that maybe you're listening to this to uh, alleviate the stress of the holidays. Shop online, be safe. Like, yeah, wear a mask. If you do fucking go out, please wear a goddamn mask. Yeah. Yeah. Shop, yeah. shop local, support local. Yeah. Yeah. Or just listen to podcasts and wait. <laughs> wait. Yeah. Just don't buy it. Wait for brother. the air. Yeah. Wait for the yeah, air raid sound. No presents. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Wait for the just air raid sound. Forward this link to the podcast to all your family members and just say you're not sending them anything because of COVID. Done. Saved you a lot of money. So this month, on our podcast, much like <laughs> in real life, it has been very dystopian and very dreary for the first three. However, we have a little bit more of an upbeat uh, movie. Uh, I would say kind of upbeat. It's a great yeah. sci-fi movie called Midnight Special. And it's it's an endearing movie. It really has yeah, it a really great, is. great story. And stars a very young actor who changed his name Believe it or not, we'll get into that. Mr. LaPlante, do you have anything you'd like to say after we are finally culminating our third month of this podcast, which has been crazy as fuck with everything that's been going on in the world? 
as we now dive into a less dystopian fair. Do you have anything you want to add now that we are kind of starting to hopefully maybe crest into 2021 and maybe, <laughs> maybe we get something normal? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, the one thing that I would say is I was so pumped to originally see this movie that I drove to Yonkers to see this at the Alamo Draft House during limited release. For those of you who don't know Yonkers, Yonkers is just north of New York City, which they consider upstate New York. We won't get into that. Yeah, that, that is actually upstate New York. The interesting thing about Yonkers is if you live in New York, you have to put on your state taxes. They ask you where you're from. And the two places they ask you if you're from either the city or Yonkers. I've never yeah. understood that. Why they ask you if you're from Yonkers. rich fucking people in Yonkers. It's a really shitty name for a town, though. It just really yeah. is. It, you know what <laughs> I mean? like, it doesn't sound tough. It sounds like, I'm from Yonkers. You're like, from where? You sound like a fucking hick. Get the fuck out of here. All right, well, we digress. So we're going to dive right into this movie right now. The government and a group of religious extremists pursue a man and his son, a young boy who possesses special powers, in Jeff Nichols' sci-fi thriller, Midnight Special. What if Alton doesn't belong with us? You don't know that. That's remarkable. I know where they're going. He believes in something. Good people die every day believing in things. You don't have to worry about me. I'll always worry about you. I like worrying about you. That's the deal. It's okay. I know why I'm here. As we said, Midnight Special is directed and written by Jeff Nichols. It came out in 2016, so just four years ago. It stars the great Michael Shannon, Joel Edgerton, who you might remember was a writer on the rover that we talked about last week, Kirsten Dunst in a very different role for her. She's not kissing upside down Spider-Man. Mr. Adam Driver, Jaden Martell, and Mr. Sam Shepard, who plays a limited role, but yet a good role uh, nevertheless. The budget for this movie was $18 million, and sadly it only grossed about $6.7, hence why we are trying to give it a little better plug here on this podcast. Now, as my favorite thing to talk about, the ratings from IMDb, this just passed with a 66, a 6.6, it got a just D minus because IMDb licks ass cheeks. On the other side, where we have Mr. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave it an 84, and the audience agreed with IMDb with a 67. So, whatever. You know you, you know how we feel about ratings, but we it figured we'd give them to you anyways, because maybe some people take them at face value. Who knows? Now, the gentleman that we talked about, Jaden Martell, he has grown up a bit. He yeah. has played... Taken on a lot of roles. Yeah, he plays Georgie in the reboot of It, and he's fantastic. Yeah, he's... He definitely had one of the most difficult characters in that film yep. to take on, um, especially do, pulling off the, the child version of him. You know, the adult version of the original TV series was not very memorable, but the child version of him was great. I forgot what the kid's name was. Uh, Georgie. No, no, the actor that played him in the TV series. Oh, uh, yeah, series. yeah, I have no idea. He was no really idea. big at the time. Yeah, in the early I can't 90s. remember. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, he definitely took on like the the biggest character at the time of the release outside of Tim Curry was probably him, I would say. Um, but yeah, he's he's taken on a lot of roles. Yeah, and this this movie I I think parlayed him into that movie, and then his starring roles in definitely. it got him into Rian Johnson's Knives Out that came out a year ago this month. And he was most recently in an Apple TV Plus series called Defending Jacob. Now, when he was in this movie, he was credited as Jaden Lieberher. So he has since changed his name to Jaden Martell. Doesn't really give information why, much like, I mean, Tom Cruise, I forget what his real uh, last name is, but it's not Cruise. So... You know, or Mr. Nicholas Cage. Yes, yes, we do know that Mr. <laughs> Nicholas Cage is not. But I understand Nicholas Cage's reason not being, you know, using Coppola because Coppola, he doesn't want, he yeah, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't want to step out of the light. He doesn't want to tread on that name. Yeah, yeah. Especially, especially when you do movies like Deadfall. We won't get into that. <laughs> exactly. The ironic thing, though, with you bringing up Knives Out is that Jaden and Michael Shannon play father and son again. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was, it's pretty cool that uh, the two of them are able to reconnect, yet in a very different kind of, so different. Uh, of relationship than it is from this movie. We'll get into that one eventually. The top five reasons to watch this movie. First reason we believe that you should watch this movie. Number one. At its core, this is a movie about the lengths a father will go to for his son, regardless of whatever the obstacles may be or whatever the reasons may be. And what I mean by that is, as we kind of read you in the description, is Jaden plays a young boy uh, named Alton who has special powers. And his father is trying to get him away from this cult, this group of religious extremists, and get him to another destination that he needs to be by on March 6th, I believe the date was, if I'm not mistaken, in the movie. I believe it was March 6th. So what ends up happening, we should give you a little backstory, is... Michael Shannon plays his father. Kirsten Dunst was his mother in the film. And they are a part of this weird religious, almost Davidian-type religious cult played, the leader played by Sam Shepard. Yeah, it was like uh, Waco. Yeah, a lot like Waco. Very much like a Waco cult going on. The weirdest thing, though, was the way they all dressed in, like, the Canadian tuxedos, like, all denim. Yeah. And the women had their hair pulled back like they were on from Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, they, yeah, they it was just very like strange. Yeah, it was a very weird look to them. I mean, yeah. it worked well for the movie, it but it just, it just felt weird. They just felt <laughs> weird, creepy. Yeah. I mean, they were just, you know, a cornfield shy of children of the corn almost at they, that point. They really were. So Alton, early on, uh, it's discovered that he has some kind of supernatural powers or powers they believe bestowed upon him by God. So Mr. Sam Shepard's character, the head of this cult, decides to take over and he now like adopts him as his own son. So Sam Shepard's character, he adopts a bunch of kids within this community and one of the children is Alton that he takes over. Now he becomes his father. Kirsten Dunst is sent away because she doesn't uh, agree with it. But of course, uh, some lies made up as happens. So much reflected back on events like we're going through now. Exactly. So she's excommunicated she's kicked away oddly enough she's gone for about a year or two it seems like from from what we learned and yet she still wears her hair the same way like it's so weird that the people who are eventually moved on from the community still hold on to their ways and that they do shit eventually something snaps inside michael shannon's head and when this movie starts they are on the run they are already taken off and so when it jumps in you're like oh shit i have no idea what's going on but we Fantastic. get this backstory. Oh, it's, I love it. I love Such it. Such a great opening. 
And the great thing is they never really tell us why he took him. I mean, mm-hmm. why they took him away. Obviously, we can kind of figure it out. But for two years, he sat there and watched another man raise his son. And then finally, just inside him, he, he realized that no matter what, they were basically using his son because of his powers for their own good. Not not because he yeah. could do good, but for their own sick, twisted fucked up religious reasons and he'd had enough and he realized that uh through some of the powers the son has that he had to get him to a place by march 6th he didn't know why yeah but he knew that whatever it was for it was to save his life and get him away from all of this bullshit yeah i feel, I feel like um that michael shannon's character um you know he did he left the you know the the cult the religious cult roy there left two years ahead of the events and then did decide to come back i feel like he did branch away um from the cult after he's seen you know either he's kind of thrown out or you know kind of did abandon his son to them after realizing how like zealot they were and how insane they became after discovering that you know elton has these uh, powers and then starting to like use them into their scripture and all that and that made him leave and also made sarah kristen dunce uh leave there um to where he has never uh thought about it you know until he finally you know realized that you know i need to go get him out of there because he has a purpose to fill for this and it is a lot of guilt he has a lot of uh, there's a lot of parental guilt um on him um for leaving his son behind you can definitely see it in his character throughout the entire film fantastic uh performance from him i felt a little different i actually feel that michael's character stayed there the entire time and it wasn't until he took him that it all happened i feel that they were surprised as much as everyone else that he was grabbed that he took him i think he saw that the date was getting closer he realized that some kind of weird maybe even jonestown thing was afoot where they were yeah like they may have committed suicide or do something weird because they thought the end was coming on march 6th and as long as he was with them that they were all safe and i think he just grabs them they leave and they show up at joel edgerton's house who they used to be high school buddies until michael's character got his parents you know lost their way and went to this freaking ranch and you know sucked him into it and so he hadn't seen him in a decade or so so he helps him after when we'll talk about in a little bit once he realizes what alton can do he realizes he's got to help him i think it's he you know for two years he's probably known this but he when you're brainwashed into something Mm -hmm. as as is very evident today and i'm not going to get political about but it's very evident when someone is brainwashed when someone may lack some intelligence and is easily brainwashed because they want the most fantastical thing in their mind to be real it's hard for him to step away like he's getting all this information about what this son can do and he's allowing this other person to tell him what to think and feel about that and not even be allowed to to raise his kid and eventually it just inside him he broke through that he broke through that noise and said no I know the right thing to do, and it's to get him the fuck away from here. You know, I think the interesting thing about Roy is that before he has Alton, I don't think he has much of an identity. He never really believed in the ranch, the ranch being this cult that he's honestly was drug into by his family. It wasn't his idea to go there in the first place. He went there with his parents. He didn't really know what else to do. And then and then he fell in love with Sarah, Kirsten Dunn's character, and, and they had Alton. And, and all of a sudden, it was this eureka moment of, oh, this is, this is why I'm here, is to be this boy's father. 
And so they go on this cross-country spree and literally moments into the movie, they leave and it's weird because they they wake up and they take down this cardboard and all of a sudden you realize it's like nighttime. It's, you know, night, night is about to fall. And so they're driving at night and Joel Edgerton is driving this really sweet car and he eventually... You know, they get off the highways and they're listening to police scanners and to see if anyone, know, you know, looking for them. Because there's an all points bulletin out for them. You know, we notice yeah, right away. Cause, yeah, it shows it on the television. Yep, right on the television. But the weird thing is, is it only shows Alton and his father. Joe Edgerton's yeah, character never. Him. Yeah, they know nothing about him. And so they're driving and he's got these night vision goggles and they're driving without lights on. And then all of a sudden they get into an accident because of it. And, you know, Joel Edgerton is a Texas uh, state trooper and he feels compelled to help because that's just his nature. So he gets yeah. out to help and another cop shows up and there's a bit of a standoff there. And Michael it's Shannon, just so, it's, it's so great. great when it starts right there, though, when he when joel catches that he read the license plate and draws his gun yeah because then he knows that it's like okay he caught him he has the upper hand and you know him being a police uh ex-state trooper you know very recently (laughs) left him being a state trooper he knows exactly how to de-escalate the situation and handle it however michael's trying to escalate and is telling him to shoot him exactly and he's like i've got this i've got this handled and every time michael shannon keeps saying that uh, alton is more important and so right away you get this sense that all right this kid's not just some kid And Mm -hmm. that there's something greater to why they're doing what they're doing. But unlike other movies might happen, you know, Michael Shannon was in the position. He probably would have shot and killed the cop. Oh, yeah. He would have blown his head off with that shot. Instead, Joel Edgerton's character shoots him in the chest, knocks him down, knows that he's got him down on the ground. But he knows he hits him in the vest. Yeah, and then he, he calls over the radio. Yeah, and he calls over the radio to get, you know, officer down to get him help so they can still get on their way. She's hurt real bad. She's got a neat angle. She's got a bad head wound. Don't. Shoot him. Get back in the car. Alton is more important. Get back in the car. Shoot him. I got this. Shot fired. Officer down. Send medical 1018. County Road 36, one mile east, marker 87. But it's that moment where Michael Shannon's character is will kill, go through whatever he has to, to get his son to where he needs to be. Like, he is all in on helping his son, on, on keeping him safe. Yeah, he's all in. Um, you know, he is 100% all in. I will do anything it takes, almost to the fact that where Joel is trying to kind of like let them know like they got to kind of have some sort of grasp and control over these situations to be able to get over uh, get through it because of you know him having ex- experience being a police officer uh, being a state trooper you know he knows how to handle these intense situations where he's kind of trying to you know almost convince him that this is his part of it you know that he brought him in and this is what he needs to handle and tell him how to handle where you know he knows that he's letting his emotions judge it where Joel is emotionally invested, but he's thinking smart. Like he's handling. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause Joel is still has that 
cop mentality of, he does. of procedure, right? But yep. where I think what uh, Michael's character was doing for those two plus years, or at least a year, he starts to decipher certain things that we're going to get into, and he has an idea of what's going to happen, why why he has to take him where he's got to go. He knows it's something. It's something important that other people aren't seeing. They think it's these scriptures or these other things, but Michael has quietly been deciphering this for at least a year or so, and when he finally really does figure it out, that's when he makes his move. So much so that they, after this, you know, this uh, unfortunate incident where they do have to uh, in, interact with a police officer, they end up f- going and staying with someone who used to be a part of the ranch. We never yeah. know why this person was excommunicated. He is on their side. He yeah. is on their side to help them. He may have seen what they were doing was not what they believed anymore. Just from his appearance, I kind of got some feelings of why he was excommunicated because that motherfucker looked like a pedophile the second he opened that door. Yeah, he had some creepiness to him. He but, was very creepy. He's pretty goddamn creepy. But you got to feel that when this whole thing started for them at the ranch, Walton wasn't old enough to have shown his who he was. Do you know what I'm saying? Like So when they all yeah. went there, uh, Michael was there before he even met Kristen's character and they had to end up having the child. They mm-hmm. were... They were obviously believers of some version of Christianity that's definitely a lot more extreme. Yeah, just but like they kind of like suddenly slide away from it as soon as Alton's put in their path. Like they almost become like like the Church of Latter-day Saints kind of thing. Where like all of a sudden like, yeah, boom, we're sliding up. Almost like, what's his name? Uh, the New Dawn, Children of the New Dawn from Mandy. We're like, he's yeah. now the new guy. You know, he's this is the new uh, um, apostle. He's the, the second coming. Yeah. So I feel like they... You know, they, they then moved on, just like they did in Mandy. They now found their new Messiah, who they believe was now the second coming. And that became their, their, their life. They now kind of slid away from the teachings, and now this was their new thing. So this other guy's been excommunicated. He also has deciphered. So I feel like he and Michael have been working in cahoots for a little bit. And maybe that's one of the reasons the guy got kicked out. And maybe Michael got kicked out too before that. But he has uh, been gone for a little bit and he knows what's going on. He you know, offers him their house. When he's at this house, helps us also to not only learn about Alton, but it's the second reason you should watch this movie. Number two. And that is Alton's powers are revealed at this man's house. And when Alton's powers are revealed, it is quite something to see. It's it was the yeah. entire time you get these it's... little whispers of what's of what's going on. And you know, everyone's yeah. talking and even there's a point where the, the FBI shows up at the at the ranch and people are brought in and they're asking questions, and it's when Sam Shepard looks at these FBI guys, or even uh, Adam Driver's character, who's uh, NSA, and asks him questions, and he looks at him and goes, y'all don't know what you're dealing with, do you? It's at that moment we realize this isn't some guy who sees, like, Jesus' face on the images of burnt toast. You know, we realize that this kid is something special. You think he's weird because you see him, like, when they see him, he's underneath this, like, sheet with a flashlight reading comic books, and he's got, like, blue swimming goggles on. So you go, all right, you know. Whatever you know, he's the punky Brewster. He's the ma- he's the male punky Brewster of the two thousands. Such a cool eighties, cool eighties sci fi vibe. Very so very eighties cool. sci fi vibe. Exactly. Like, yeah. It yeah. had a feel so of uh, Stranger Things too. You know, and it came out right around right before Stranger Things yeah, actually started. Yeah, just before. So it had that really just cool before, feel yeah, to it. It was ahead of the curve. It was a, definitely a new way of telling a sci-fi story about possible things from other worlds or supernatural stuff. It was It's a very cool telling. How they introduce the powers to us is they get there, and of course they get there, and in the morning they sleep. And the reason it's called Midnight Special is 
is there's a belief that Alton, once his powers were revealed, he could not be out in the daylight. So he would, they would have him sleep during the day because they felt the sun yeah. would kill him. They never give us reasons why. And I like that somewhat about this movie. There's a lot of things left unsaid for us to just figure out or think about ourselves and make decisions on. We don't know why Michael took him. He never said. He just, we just know he took him and that he had to get him by a date. You know, he never gives a good reason why. Joel Edgerton tells uh, Kirsten Dunst that he just showed up at his door, knocked on his door, and said he needed help. And that's it. And then he learns what, what Alton can do. He later on discloses her that, of course, that he did see, you know, the, his powers and that, you know, sold him fully in. But, you know, he's that kind of, he's that friend that's like, if you came to him and said you need help to protect you and your family, he's going to drop everything to protect him. Like, yeah, this man He's your ride or die friend. He's your ride or die friend. He literally threw his badge on the ground is willing yes. to kill well, a cop. Well, injure a cop and kill him <laughs> if, if necessary, but yes. Injure a cop. But if necessary, he definitely would kill anybody that stood in his way you know he is he's the muscle of the two yes for sure you know he's that calm cool collected um you know again since his experience uh, with law enforcement unlike some other police officers that abuse their power you can tell this man is very restrained and very calm in a situation to de-escalate before having to resort to using violence if he has to no no but yeah I'm sorry, I kind of digressed us away there. They get there and everyone's going to sleep. Everyone's tired. They're tired because they sleep during they sleep during the day yeah. and they used to do everything at night. At night, everyone was up sleep and had their night. services, all that stuff. So they're up at night, sleep during the day. Michael Shannon's character starts to fall asleep. They they put down Alton and he falls asleep at the the table and Joel Edgerton I think falls asleep in a chair. They're just exhausted and they're out. All of a sudden the house starts to shake like a fucking earthquake. And as it's shaking, it wakes up Michael Shannon's character and at first he's confused at what's happening. All of a sudden he knows exactly what's going on. And we don't. So he gets up and he runs and he yells at Joel's character and says, Alton. And they go running in and he not, he's banging on the door and he's yelling at the guy to, to stop whatever he's doing. He doesn't answer the door so he kicks the door open and when he does it's the most bizarre thing you've seen it reminded me of like cyclops meets meets poltergeist like the tv scene you know what i'm saying when the little girl's drawn to the tv so alton is laying in bed he has this white hot light coming from his eyes it's kind of glowing out of his, his face and it's like it's almost as if it's a projector from like a movie camera into the other guy's eyes, yeah, and he's just literally dead is. frozen in his eyes, absorbing it, looking absorbing at him. Absorbing it. It's bothering Alton, but the other guy's almost in a coma. And like he's literally in a state of like he doesn't know, he can't hear anything, yeah. he's just stuck there. Yeah, it's like it's like he's almost been yeah. taken to like yeah. another uh, another plane, like a higher existence. Well, yeah, it gets broken and because he breaks. Well, as he's trying to break connection. Him, is it when he breaks from the connection, the house really fall, almost falls apart, or is it during? I can't remember if it was during a breaking. It, 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 it's when it breaks. It's when uh, it's almost like he his eyes pretty much like well, yeah, yeah, because he, I mean, he's literally. And the only reason I said it was like um, Cyclops because Supermans were more uh, concentrated, where Cyclops like that great big blast yeah. so imagine a small yeah, cyclops no blasting in the eye and the guy the way the guy's responding is like the little girl in the exorcist or not the exorcist in poltergeist when she goes up to the tv and gets sucked into it like she's mesmerized by the light in the tv yeah just mesmerized the, yeah. like the wall but, cracks and yeah, it's, it's crazy
just the, the frantic way, the way that Roy and Lucas uh, both wake up and just run through the house like that. They just know, like, the instant that they woke up that, first of all, they knew that back then, obviously, when Michael left, that this cult was exploiting him. Who knows if they were doing this back then to some of the, like, higher-up followers were absorbing this. In the in the interviews that they had with the FBI, they talk about it. Quite a few of them explain that they have actually yeah. had this uh, this event happen to them or they've, you know, they've, they've done it. So maybe not all of them, but definitely they exploit him at night, which is probably why it's called the Midnight Special because the special is you somehow trigger this boy to <laughs> project light into your face and show you all these amazing things that they can't comprehend because once we find out what it means now you realize you'll realize like oh now we know what they were seeing and it's stuff that they cannot comprehend which since they have never seen anything like this before that's maybe why they thought he was of a higher power yeah they they definitely uh did but yeah it's it's a fantastic reveal um to just show it that way the other thing that i'll add to it is with the whole like theme of of course i'm having superpowers and stuff like that is it's fantastic and i love the little note of that the one thing that Lucas Georgian uh, gave to Elton was a plethora of comic books. Because it was like he was exposed and, you know, Roy comes to him and says, I need your help. Let's him know that his son has this crazy ability and that he needs to protect him from this cult. And God knows what else is chasing after yeah. him. Because even at this point, they just know, you know, obviously they know that they're going to be chased by the police, you know, because they're going to be kidnapping from this cult, which is an odd situation. Because I don't know what fucking cops outside of obviously the FBI, which do get involved, coming in here. Like, <laughs> okay, if, you're, if your son was at a cult and you went and took him from them, most police officers would be like, okay, good job fuck that call and call it a day unless you well the reason the fbi is there is because these guys have been buying weapons which was very odd and may have been one of the reasons that maybe one of the reasons that obviously at the end finally michael gets him the fuck out of there because this has just been crazy that they're getting guns and they're stockpiling weapons so the fbi notices it and they start to you know kind of hone in on this and that's when they know that he was he's been taken so a very interesting a way of doing it. Yeah, it is. Um, but it's just so awesome that he that he's the one that like. So then after all that, he you know when they're all they're piling up in this car to go out on this you know road trip to uh, take him to his destination and protect him at all costs. That he grabbed a pile. And of one of the ones he's reading stands. is Superman. Yeah, it is Superman. Very ironic thing. Uh, let's not touch on that. No, not yet. Reveal. No. Uh, my question to you though is, and I was thinking about this. What would you do if that was your son? And would you, if you were in a cult or you could look into someone's eyes like that and be seeing things, would you do it? So, yeah. So this was crazy. And and, and kind of a a taste of this before we started recording, Um, because this film hit me in two different ways. I fell in love with this movie the first time I seen it, you know, obviously with me already talking about how I drove fucking to Yonkers fucking hours to see it on limited release to Yonkers. And, you know, then watching it again, you know, I probably haven't seen it in at least a couple well, yeah, it's been four years. So since then I've had a son completely affected me differently. I've watched it now two times before us recording this again, and it has just changed the way I look at this movie so much as a father, because I don't know if I would, if I would experience powers like absorb them like they do. 
or but I would I would de- I would support him in you know showing his power that he has, and I would protect him at all costs. And that's why that like, oh yeah it, yeah our first reason to watch is hit me so hard on the second time. And I know of course you with your, um, your kids, you know, uh, how hard that theme as a parent just. Gets oh yeah. You. Cause you'll, you'll do anything. You'll, you'll li- you'll, you know, do anything for your children. Yeah. And yeah, if you, yeah, if you aren't a parent, you know, this is a fantastic movie. If you are a parent is really, yeah. really tugs at your heart, heartstrings unless you are <laughs> fucking absolutely soulless and do not care about your kid or children. I, I thought about it too. I thought I would probably at the age, my son was that age, he's older than I was 18. But if I looked into his eyes, I think I would look in just cause I, you know, to find out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would take, again, I would, if it meant that I got melted, it would, you know, you need to find out someone's got to be, you know, uh, the person to find out the person. And then once I knew, I definitely would not allow anyone else to, you know, one was, you know, again, we don't exactly. The thing is, is we get an idea of what they see, but we really don't know what they see. Like they, they have a tough time explaining it. No, no one, no one can explain it that that has experienced it. Not even they just the the, the subtle notes is just like when Joel has his line to uh, Kirsten Dunst and he just says to her like, "Have you seen it?" You know, and like he's like, "Yeah, I have." And like after that, and it's just like that's it. Yeah, he says to her that she, when they showed up, you know, he shows up at my door, he says he needs my help, and then he goes, "Of course, I saw El- you know Alton uh, convinced me, you know, and she knew exactly what he meant." And it's like, yeah, I mean, once yeah. you see it that in that, and you go, "Holy shit!" You know, it really you're just like you know that this is something special that you need to protect, and it's such a just fantastic theme of just blessing of having you know having children and experiencing them grow up and experience things you know that's why uh, you know ironically jeff nichols wrote this after uh, having a child you know? yeah yes he did um, it's a great <laughs> it is like a fantastic sci-fi film that then again takes in all the anxiety of parenthood and protection and just like undying love and, and care and the ability to do anything in your power and sacrifice anything for your uh, your child. Well, it also does a great job of showing the innocence of, ch- of childhood because, you know, some kids yeah. wouldn't be able to handle this. This kid handles it like a champ. Like, yeah, I, I know who I he am. He's more adult than any of the other characters. Superman is my favorite this. superhero of all time. If I had any of his powers, I know I would have used them for bad. Like, I know. Like, if you'd pissed me off, I would I would have turned into Brightburn. I'd have been Brightburn. You would have been, yep. been Brightburn. No doubt <laughs> in my fucking it. mind, I would have gone Brightburn for sure. Um, but this Alton character, he doesn't like he's very even though he's probably been you know it's almost it's almost a very quiet way of talking about also uh abusive children i mean he was abused even though it may not yeah. have been molestation or physical he was used by it's people who are supposed to be adults yeah. and by other people for their own good they abused him and he yeah. handled it like a fucking champ, you know. I mean, he really, yeah. really did. You can tell he he has no like he didn't really get any trauma from them. It was almost like he already at that point had knew that he was something bigger yes. than all of this. That like he wasn't gonna let them affect him. You know, these this you know we don't know exactly what they were. This evangelical religious cult beforehand, whatever they were uh, praising to, until they found out he had powers and started writing their scriptures. Yeah. 
all based off of him. Which is actually a great segue for the third reason you should watch this movie. Number three. And that is the gas station scene. Leading into the gas station scene, Alton gives us another glimpse into his powers. Out of the blue, he starts speaking perfect fucking Spanish. Like he just starts ripping yeah. it out. Like he's, he almost sounded like he was a, um, a Mexican football br- announcer. Like a, yeah, it was, it was a soccer It really sounded yeah. like that, right? It was a, yeah, yeah. Joel Edgerton's character goes, he kind of was kind of like, what the hell is he doing? Like, what's going he's on? Like, what's and going he goes, on? oh, it's yeah. one of his things. And he goes, he's like, change the radio. He goes, station. does he know Spanish? He goes, no. He goes, he goes, turn on the radio. And they flip through and they find it. And he's hitting it word for word. It looks weak. He is. He recovers. He's fine. Radio Roma KW Juro presentan de nuevo Texas Fair, la feria de nuevo Texas Paisa. Junta tu familia y amigos por que tengan un fin de semana con el show. And what we learn is these scriptures that these people have been writing down and all this other stuff that's been happening, Alton is able to intercept radio waves, communications, whether it's through satellite or over the radio, even probably through cell phone and text and all kinds of things. It just suddenly picks it off and it and he transmits it himself, which is what has been happening is he's yeah. been transmitting things at night. And the reason the NSA and FBI come in is because he has picked up coordinates. So at night when it's crystal clear over, you know, Texas, which is a giant country, which doesn't have like the cloud coverage that we have up in the Northeast, he is able to hear satellite conversations going over. He's intercepting encrypted top secret communication. It's literally, it is physically impossible for him to do this. And that's what is so great when Adam Driver gets brought in and he just delivers it in this very like curious, almost like gumshoe. Because he has no idea how a six or seven year old boy is getting the coordinates to these major places out of the fucking (laughs) blue, just picking up out of the blue. And no one else can figure it out. They start to, obviously, the guy who got kicked out and then who uses him again. And then his father figured out that he is intercepting communications and that they mean more than what is meeting the eye, like <laughs> like Transformers. As I said, my name is Paul Sevier. I work for the NSA in the field of communications. I'm sorry, Matt, do you mind if I just kind of jump in? Or, uh, do these mean anything to you? Ignoring the rest of this. Apollo Step. Meridian Alpha. Red Saber. What if I told you that the words and numbers contained in your sermons include sensitive government information, uh, given the dates you provide, were transmitted solely by satellite through a heavily encrypted format, the decryption and dissemination of which, other than being scientifically impossible, would surely carry punishments of treason that are are so severe the government probably hasn't invented them yet. It's really cool because we also get a chance because of this. When they pull into this gas station to get some food and to get some gas, they pull in. And we see Alton sitting there reading his comic book and suddenly he stops 
And we get to see that Alton isn't as, I, I don't want to say he's um, at all vicious, but that he no. too will use what he has in the to protect, to protect them. them. All of a sudden, he stops reading, and he looks up at the top of the van. And you see his eyes go across the top of the van. He gets out of the van, and he walks, and he's looking up into the sky. So we're not sure what he's looking at, but we have we can guess that it's something. You know, he's, he's hearing something, and he's looking where it's coming from. And all of a sudden, he just kind of stops and stares at it and just stares for a little bit longer. And when this happens, he's standing in the middle of this roadway, and a woman comes over to him. And this freaks Michael Shannon out, who comes running out because... They're on the on the loose. They're on the run. He cannot allow anyone to stop yeah, well, them. First of all, and she's just a fucking weird woman. That like, first of all, if any kid is, if my son is out in public and he wants to wear fucking goggles, it's his fucking well, choice. Don't tell true. him to take them off. You're a fucking stranger. Go fuck but, yourself. But in fairness, he it's the middle of the night. He's got blue goggles on, and he's wanderingly true. wandering aimlessly wandering in the middle away. of the gas station. You know, <laughs> there's is. definitely some red flags going on. He was on. very judgy for uh, for her uh, her own personal like yeah she was going in there well, to grab some tall she, boys she was a Karen she was a Karen before <laughs> yeah she was a she was Karen, Karen when they just used to complain and not just be full on racist he yeah, just exactly you know, just getting your business exactly. without needing to be in your business God knows she what oh, she's waving oh, right now <laughs> so Michael comes over and he's like you can't leave the van and you know they're, they're freaking out and Alt looks at him and goes I'm sorry and he goes it's okay look you know I shouldn't have left you alone and then he goes no. I'm sorry. And all of a sudden, they hear something. They look up. And at first, I thought he had the power to bring meteors down from the fucking sky. Because all of a sudden, you see these fireballs coming down at you. And you're like, holy shit. He brings... Well, he rains fire down on this gas station. They barely escape with their life. Are you okay? We'll be there soon. Why are you wearing those goggles, huh? Stop! Stop! He's with me. He's my son. Yeah, well, you ought to watch your kid. Yeah, I got it. Thank you. You doing okay? You cannot leave the van. You hear me? I'm sorry. It's okay. I shouldn't have left you. Oh. I'm sorry. The next morning, when Adam Driver shows up with the FBI guy, they find out that he pulled down an Air Force freaking uh, satellite that detects if a nuclear bomb has gone off. The odd thing about that is, is the last few images that the satellite is able to project before it's pulled down Magneto style out of the fucking sky and comes crashing down and destroys this fucking gas station is the thermal energy that he gives off is that of a small nuclear explosion. However, yeah. no radiations, nothing else. No one's hurt. Nothing. He just no brings this fucking thing out of the sky. And I was like, holy shit, that was fucking cool. As a father, <laughs> if my son did that, I would have been like, one, can you not bring it down upon us? That would have been my, part of my only yeah. thing. <laughs> can, you, like, can you project that a little further yes. away, let alone? We're, we're around a lot of materials that are susceptible to fire and explosions. 
Let's yeah. not do that. Here. And I'm a huge fan of Magneto. I think he's one of the best villains. And I love that he can control yeah, metal. Same. And I think I would choose that as my superpower. But I would probably then ask my son, what else do you think you can bring down out of the sky? I just been curious. Yeah. Like, what else can we bring down with our mind or whatever you did? And I like that he didn't do any hand motions. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't Magneto it, put his hand up nope. or... Or do a Darth Vader. He just, he looked and then he just said, I'm sorry. And all of a sudden this fucking sky lights up and just destroys the entire fucking place. And it was so fucking cool. Like I thought the light from the eyes was cool. This was way better. This was fucking, yeah. And it shot so well. They do a great job of it. Beautifully. um, It's just beautifully. uh, The director of photography, Adam Stone for this is great. Him and Jeff have had a great working relationship. You know, they started way back with, take shelter in 2011 i think even before that he might have been the uh dp on shotgun stories with he also made with michael shannon uh, before you know this first kind of big film was uh, take shelter doing that and then you know he followed up in 2012 with michael shannon again uh with mud fantastic film and then you know he and of course the year this movie came out in 2016 um he did both movies loving and this both being his first two uh studio produced films and then he after that he's followed up with a great movie with our patents and uh damsel but the way he handles and shoots the scene one of the shots that i love the most out of the scene is that it's very, very much like Raising Arizona. Uh, that inside shot of the gas station of Joel Edgerton just checking out, and he sees Michael Shannon just run past. Yeah, yeah. And he's just still, like, taking his money out, and then once he sees him run past, it's like he does that kind of double take, and then just drops everything and goes yeah. running outside. Yeah, because he knows something's wrong. Yeah. See what's, see what's going on. And he is the more thrown off by this because he has no fucking clue what is I don't think Michael Shannon knew that he had this ability either like I don't think he knew that this was going to happen but he at least knew when he was saying you know apologizing that he you know had did something that you know catastrophic (laughs) that they need to get the fuck away from where now he comes running out and he looks up at the sky and catches these what look like meteorites just coming down to rain behind them is he's just like we need to go yeah yeah yeah, we need to go they're fucking hell fucking hauling ass out of there <laughs> let's get the fuck away from that pump i don't know if that gas station time that served no it blew up it exploded <laughs> the whole fucking place was gone Which, for but, an 18 million dollar movie the special effects in this movie when they use it impressive. is unbelievable seamless like it was beautiful so like seamless. it really looked like they were like meteors were coming out of the fucking sky and i don't know what they did obviously they had some practicals to actually you know make the explosions you know, in camera, and then obviously add the meters as they came in. But man, they did a phenomenal job, especially for it being yeah. an independent, you know, sci-fi movie. Yeah. If you're going to do a like sci-fi, you got to have. But it was his first time. You know, as impressive as when we talked about Annihilation two weeks ago. Annihilation had great mm-hmm. special effects. You know, just the way the the world looked when they went into the Shimmer. The Shimmer looked cool as shit. And you know, when they created the mutated animals and stuff, they did just as an amazing job in this because that meteor storm. Man, it's fucking awesome. Like, that's when you know that this kid is something. You know, like, holy shit, this kid's yeah. got, like, serious powers. Like, you laugh because he's able to suddenly, you know, word for word, go along with the, you know, uh, an Hispanic radio station. And you're like, oh, okay, that's that's kind of funny. And then when he yeah. pulls a fucking... It's like a little... Like, yeah. 
<laughs> it's like giving little treats like okay he can do this he can do this holy fucking yeah. shit he can take down a fucking encrypted military satellite that should not be able to be hacked by like literally this is meant so that like other countries cannot intercept the signals from this and this child just tore that down out of the this sky satellite is to tell the american government if other nations that are our enemies are, are setting, setting off, off nuclear weapons and this dude's fucking pulling it out of the sky like it's a kite that just ran out of wind <laughs> yeah, exactly. he's, like, he's like he's like give me that motherfucker yeah it's like yeah exactly it's like the kite tore and he got pissed off he's like nah fuck this shit it's coming to the ground it was expertly done and another cool we won't talk about the scene but the powers that he gets when they actually adam driver actually gets to interview him in that white room and he's able to control all the electronics like we learn early you know by this point he almost is like taunting you know what i'm saying like after after he has his moment in the sun which is all i'm gonna say and he starts to realize that he has more power than he thought and like he's now re-energized he starts to really like almost show off Show off. Yeah, he does. He's kind of like he's, he's like using Jedi mind tricks with the video cameras. You know what I mean? It's like these are not the droids you're looking for. And like the cameras see one thing, yeah. and he's doing something completely different. It's fucking phenomenal. Yeah. It's so good. Um, it almost it kind of uh, reminds me of just with you know him showing off and with Adam's uh, like curiosity. It's almost like he's teasing Adam. Like he knows, like I, I feel like one of the things that might not be—it's definitely—it's not mentioned in the movie, um, at all. But it's, in my opinion, kind of hinted at is that he definitely can, with his abilities, intercept people's minds. Well, whether it's people's minds or he's able to, like maybe even their phones, you know what I mean? Like he can get any yeah. kind of information. So then he just yeah. knows everything about them. I mean, he's able to shut so down the he, base that they're in that, you know, when things yeah. happen, all the power goes out. He shuts the whole thing down. He's able to call his dad at a place, at a location, at a phone there based on some kind of information they had on him, whether it's a phone or a tracking on the video. You know, there's he was able to find them somehow. You know what I'm saying? Like he's able to tap into yeah. all of the electronics throughout the world, like even satellites. He can intercept it all and he can use it to his advantage. And that's why the NSA wants him. Let's not pretend. Yeah. They want to use him as a oh, weapon. Oh, no. They're, they want to use him as a yeah. weapon, and they're afraid of him. They're generally, generally extremely afraid of him. And the only one that actually is, you know, again, I'll refer to him as, because he really is this gumshoe, and it's just great. As Adam is just this curious, fascinated with him. Oh, like, he yeah. just wants to know he's more. He's an intellect, and he's like, this is amazing. He, is, he can't... He can't put his finger on it, and he just... He does, he is willing to do whatever it takes to just find out more, because at this point, he knows that this is way above... Anything he's done as his being this uh, NSA worker, the like high level oh, yeah. NSA worker, like this guy is came straight out of college and went there and got a major job working for them. And he is like just wants to know more about what Elton can do um, because it's just blown his yeah, mind. Yeah, seven year old is, is stealing encrypted fucking coordinates. <laughs> and, and bringing satellites out of the sky. He is literally yeah. the living embodiment of a Professor X's cerebro. You know, like he's he really just not is. finding he, mutants. He can find every electronic in the fucking world and he can control everything. It. It's crazy. Crazy amazing. How so good. That'll lead us to the fourth reason you should watch this movie. Number four. 
and that is the Ascension scene. So we're going to give a few things away here. There's no way to talk about this movie, unfortunately, without giving some things away. And the reason we're going to... So if you don't want... Yeah, if you don't want to hear certain things... Right now, pause. Go watch the movie and, and then come back. Watch yes. it, come back. Because we're not going to give everything away, but we, we have to talk about this. Because otherwise, there's not much else to talk about without really discussing this point. So you're going to get five, four, three, two, one. We said in our old podcast when we would give things away. If you're still here and you didn't want to be, fuck yourself. You made that decision. You're an adult. You don't want to wear the mask, <laughs> fine. But if an establishment doesn't want to let you in, you can't have it both ways. All right? Same thing here. You don't want to learn it, but you want to listen. You can't have it both ways. It's a one-way exactly. street. So we eventually learn that there is another world on top of our world that we are unable to see. And that Alton somehow is a part of this world. There is the great thing about this movie is it does not give us any further information than what the characters themselves know. We know that Alton is the biological product of Michael Shannon and Kirsten Dunst. That is their biological child. Never once do they try to interject that somehow like the the Virgin Mary story happened to her, anything like that. It's it's not like Anakin Skywalker is is the Jesus Christ of Star Wars, you know, from the Phantom Menace when he's, you know, the part of the midi chlorines and all that horse shit. It's none of that. He just happens to be their son, and somehow he has this in him. He is able to be something more. He is a different being that could transcend. It leaves a lot of cool things open because you can only see it when he kind of unveils it to you. You have no idea they're there, but as he talks more about it and starts to learn himself, basically like he can hear them as well, is that they've always been there and they're always watching us. However, they're not... You can understand that they're almost like beings of light. Is that the best way to describe them, you would say? Yeah. Beings of light. They're almost like beings of light. Yeah. And you start to understand that that's why this light is coming out of him. It's almost like yeah. he's Once trying to like get out of the body. encapsulate it, it's almost like they, they ascend to a higher state. Yeah, it's almost like his, his soul is like leaving the, yeah. like the the thing that traps him is his yeah, body. Like you know? his, his human form, yeah, is gone now. There's no need for it at this yeah, point. Yeah, he's, you know, he's another are, level. Yeah, they're the puppeteers that have almost been like protecting our world. Yeah, like, I don't know, either protecting or watching. It, it, there's so many unanswered questions just, that make yeah, it so cool to leave you questioning so what's going to happen. So the whole point of him getting there by March 6th is is I, I I don't know if there's a gateway or if it's like his, it, otherwise he can't get in. Another thing, like I said, a lot of it is just left not for you to know because the characters themselves may know. But like if Matt and I are having a conversation, we have an inside thing we know and we're walking around, we wouldn't come out and just suddenly go like give you backstory of what we're talking about so that you could feel part of it. That doesn't make sense. And people don't talk that way. You know, when family members are, are around, you know things about each other in your past. And so you can maybe say something and that person will know exactly what you're talking about, but you don't go through the whole fucking thing. There's no point for them to tell us everything that's happening because oh, yeah. it would just kill the no, story. It, it makes it so much better. It makes it so much better the way they did this without telling us all these questions that we don't need to answer. Exactly. So they get them to a place in Florida 
his father and Joel Edgerton, they do a great day. They basically drop off Kristen Dunst as they're, they're, I mean, a whole bunch of stuff has happened. Like they've been captured, they break away, but that stuff you can watch in the movie. I don't want to talk about that, that stuff. But they get them to this point. And when Alton is out there, he is able to kind of get off his heat signature. And all of a sudden this world becomes visible to everybody. It expands like an explosion. But it also reminded me a bit of Annihilation with the the dome, you know, with the, the shimmer as it expanded. This expands quickly. Yeah. And when it expands, what it does is it suddenly becomes, everything becomes visible. And so the production uh, designers and the special effects people did an amazing job of making it look like this other world of beings have built things onto our existing things that don't take form except when we can, we can see them at that moment like we can't physically see them that we don't run into them it makes so many cool little things you know you can like go geek out i'm trying to figure out how this all works and all this shit but it's so that they can always observe us we don't know why they observe us they give no reason they're not technically alien they're technically almost an evolved version of us one may even say that's where you go when you die like it could be almost that you know like yeah. i truly feel Feel like, like Alton is dying. We're they're like into the that. gatekeepers. Yeah, like they're almost the gatekeepers of this higher level. And I feel like only certain people ascend to it. And I feel like Alton was dying in the movie. And we're gonna get into that and in, for our fifth one. But I feel like that's where he that's where he goes. And then they we go there and then you watch over people for the rest of time. Like that's just one of my interpretations of it. I could be completely wrong. But I think that's what's great about this movie is it leaves it for you. But when they show it and it happens, yeah. it's so fucking cool. They do such a great job of making it look like advanced technology, but also like older technology. Well, they're like latched yeah. onto everything. So it's like they're they're this infrastructure that has always been here. It's like as we've built, they've yeah, been building, building onto it. But it has this yeah, weird, like, like, there's this one on top of a, of a big building that kind of came off the side. And it, for some reason, I don't know why, it reminded me of something that you saw built in, like, Mad Max Fury Road. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it had, like, this yeah. weird, old, like, put like together, it the, but it just, but yeah. it was new. Like, some of them looked like they were, like, using, like, wind and solar power and, like, stuff like that. Like, uh, green and energy sources. It was cool shit. Um, yeah, it was so fucking awesome. It's a very just smart and just great way to sh- to kind of climb. Well, yeah. This is really like the climax of the film. Yes. Um, even though we have one reason left, it's just done so well. And again, talking about that budget, they, yeah. in the short time that they show this, it is phenomenal what they show. With the money that they spent, they did a fantastic job with visual effects and using that in amazing directing of uh, cinematography by um, Adam again and just direction from Jeff. It's just so, so good. The special effects are seamless. Like yeah, seamless. They, like, they just, they melt in like in the way it just goes through that broad scape of showing all these places that have been covered. I mean, out in the sea. And now, like, this shows for no yeah. reason this oil rig out in the middle of the the yeah. the Gulf of Mexico, and all of a sudden they see this like weird, almost water world like thing, and everyone's just like, it. You're just mesmerized by it. You're just like, holy yeah. shit! Yeah. All these people that are getting to see this burst, like you, you only you imagine like the way I kind of picture it is this when this burst happens of this ascension is just this quick area that's getting engulfed by Alton going into here is getting a glimpse of this. Not everybody is seeing this. It's not coming up. <laughs> We're way upstate. <laughs> We're in New York. <laughs> we ain't seeing shit. 
The cool thing though is that even though we only see it going on in that section, from what Alton tells us is they've been there forever and that it's all over yeah. the globe. So it's everywhere. Yeah, where it builds in our country would probably look different than where it builds in China. Yeah. It gives you so much to think about and so many cool little things. Yeah. And the fact that it's so seamless, like obviously when you watch Star Wars and Fantastic. stuff, they do an amazing job with their specs, but they got a budget and they've got ILM doing it. For this not being ILM, they did this an amazing is, yeah, job. Exactly. Like a fantastic job of putting this together because all of a sudden it just shows up and it's there and you're like, holy fuck. It looks like it's there and then it's gone, you know? I believe, yeah. especially now that we're in the 4K world, that, that it won't deteriorate over time no, like some of the, other, you know, like some other ones do as we build up technology. I could be wrong, but man, it no. looked flawless. It looked phenomenal the first time I seen this on uh, the big screen. Uh, it's only been four years, but I imagine that this will continue to carry just like some of the classics from the 80s. Still, no matter how bad, you know, calling it bad is uh, is the worst word possible. I, I take it just, that back. It just, they don't, but you know, like, as time has not aging yeah, over as time, time has aged, it just, know, but still, in the day when it came out, it looks phenomenal. They looked great then, but there's even, you know, there's so many classics, you know, from the 80s that it, no matter how long they age it's still perfect you know it's yeah. it, uh, here's a john carbon example escape from new york oh yeah 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 the uh the Let's, flyover stuff i mean i watched the thing the other night and it you're like okay that's that's an animatronic you're like okay yeah it looks like it you know but it exactly. works it but just works for animal trucking yes it works for it yeah like literally Escape from New York. Nothing was filmed from in New York. Hey, we're going to go into this movie. You're giving up. Scene. You're giving things away. Yeah. You bastard. But now that we digress, it's time for us to now get into the fifth and final reason we believe you should watch this movie. Number five. And that is, this is actually an examination of a father especially, but parents coming to terms with the loss of a child. And what I mean by that is in this ascension, when they, again, if you're still listening, you're going to miss out on everything. But... If you're listening after you've watched this, hopefully you will, is what I mean by that is obviously they eventually get Alton to where he needs to be and he goes to where he needs to go. He's going to live with these other beings, these other people. This is a great telling of how parents can deal with loss and knowing that the loss is coming. Michael Shanahan is not for one second, does he not believe that at the end of this journey, that he's going to be with his son. In fact, Kirsten Dunst is the first one to really come to terms with it. She even tells him that, you know, he doesn't belong with us. Like, are you going to be able to be okay with that? And that's why the first one was that of how far a father will, how far a father will go for his son or his children, not just his son, but his daughter too. But obviously he has a son. So we're going to use the child that's there. But this entire movie is Michael Shannon realizing that he's going to try to make it up to his son and get him to where he needs to be. Roy, I'll get him here. If he's not dead. I'm sorry. I won't let that happen. Yeah, I'm not. He believes in something. You don't. It doesn't matter. Good people die every day believing in things. I spent two years watching another man raise our son. He did what I couldn't. He'll do anything to get him here. People are like, he doesn't look good. He looks sick. You need to get him to the hospital. He's like, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Like, Michael Shannon is going on faith that he 
has deciphered what he needs to do, and that if he gets his son there on time, that it's going to save him. Like he thinks he's dying, or he thinks it's going to save him. And maybe it does save him, but at the same time, he loses him. Regardless, he's going to lose his child. He's, we, we are never told at all. Even Alton doesn't say if he's ever going to come down and see them again. He never says it. He doesn't say, I'm going to be watching over you. He doesn't say, you know, you'll see me again someday. He just knows that that's where he's got to go and that those are now the people he needs to be with. Yeah. And oh. the crazy thing about it in your mind is they've been there for centuries. So he may live for centuries and his parents are going to be dead on earth and they may never join him. You know, when he first goes, it's going to be weird, but he's going to live for so much longer without them. There's a good chance he forgets about them. I mean, there's just a good chance. I mean, after a century, you know, he's probably going to see a lot of things and meet a lot of different people and do weird things, whatever he's got going on. But his parents are never going to forget this. And the moment you realize this, is when Michael Shannon, they, they're escaping from the army who's trying to grab them again. And this scene that Matt was talking about, prior to that, they get away and they stop. And they let Kirsten Dunst and the boy out. And when he lets him out, he looks over the seat quickly and calls to his son to look at him one last time. And then eventually he drives off. And he knows it's the last time he's going to see him. He knows it. So he's taking that moment. Yeah. Oh, and he knows so that he, in order to finish this, so this kind of comes full circle to number one, is he has to continue this mission and make everyone think that he's still in the car and he's driving with them. He has to do this. He knows this. And he knows in order to do that, he has to watch his son go away without being able to be there for him, see what he goes through, none of that. He has to do it. So powerful. Like when you yeah. first watch the movie, you probably won't even notice that. You just be like, oh, this is cool. And you think everything's going to go la di da and everyone's going to get together at the end. And then once you watch it, you go, holy shit. And if you watch it more than once, you watch it a few more times. And you then maybe take this podcast you've listened to after, hopefully, you've watched it first, look at it again and watch how, as we go through, he is somber the entire fucking film. Michael Shannon is somber the entire fucking film. He knows where he's taking his son, he knows that he's going to probably lose him. Or he could die you know, before they get there. He knows all of this, but he's going to do whatever he can, put himself in danger to get him there. And there's a scene we didn't talk about where things kind of interrupt this journey, and he thinks he's failed them. And man, is that it's powerful. It's so devastating. Oh, devastates him. Devastating. Like, it's devastating. Uh, for both of them, like the way that Joel responds to it, like, I'm sorry, like, it's, it's, oh, it's great. It's really the good. The one time that he fucks up, like that, it's, and it's not even really a fuck up. It's just like they, they got comfortable. Kinda, they got a little comfortable. They got yep, comfortable. They thought they'd got they got away. a little comfortable. And, you know, he, cause he was even, he did his same routine. Like he pulled everything down. He checked out the door, checked his gun, and then he comes out you know, gets blasted and it's just hard. And when you know that he can tell, you know, obviously since he's smart, he's wearing a vest. He took it in the vest. He just took buckshot to the vest. He knows he's good. He just got the wind knocked out of him. He's down, but he's been bested. And he's almost more disappointed in himself than Roy is disappointed in him. Roy's not disappointed in him. 
he knows that, you know, there's nothing he can have done uh, to prevent it at all. From myself, seeing it two different ways. If you watch this film prior to listening to us back before having a child, watch it again afterwards, because it is 100% different. And then the whole time I was watching it for you, I was actually thinking a lot about you and in, in your life right now. I was like, wow, like you are. Hey, yeah, my, my kids are now. now very, very, yep. Yeah. Where your son's turned 18, you know, your your daughter's just moved out. I was like, holy fucking yeah, shit. I was, like, I was getting I was getting anxiety. I'm like, my son's going to be three in a, under a month. And I'm like, fucking Christ. And I'm like, where's the 15 years going to go? And then I'm going to be yeah. sobbing like a little yeah. fucking baby outside for that moment to come. Because it does. It's it's just it's such an examination of the loss or the, the moving on of a child not no, no longer needing yeah. you. Absolutely. Look at Shannon puts in a performance. Like, I mean, the, the entire cast. They all are just, they just all knock it out. I know we say that a lot, but man, they, look, let's be honest. That's what makes good movies. If it does, we the, learned the from our Nicolas Cage podcast that when Nicolas Cage is surrounded, he's surrounded by an amazing cast. This man shines and pulls everyone with him. When he's the only person there who knows how to fucking act and everyone else just kind of like is there for a paycheck, doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. It looks bad because he's the guy who's doing the acting and everyone else is just kind of like, you know, tap dancing through the fucking scenes. When you have movies like this, you know, like when we've done Hell or High Water, any of these movies where there's ensembles, like uh, two weeks ago or even last week, the two with Robert Pattinson and Guy Pearce. When you have some people who know how to act, you have a great script, a great director. They all just mm-hmm. mold and everything comes to place and it's just so good. Yeah, it, it's it's a fantastic movie. But at the end it of is, it, it's like, heartbreaking. Once you watch it the first time through and you just get the awe of it all and you go back and examine it for another couple of viewings and you look at it through Michael Shannon as basically, you think of this as like he's taking his child on a make-a-wish foundation. He gets his final wish before they die. That's basically what he's yeah. doing. He's crossing the country to get him to where he needs to be for his last thing and that's that. And he knows the end of the yeah. destination, how it's going to end. He may not always be ready to verbally say it, no, but he he's knows. Not, no, he's not ready to verbally say it, but you, and you can tell he's not really ready to mentally accept this. Like, it, as much as he's proceeding through this journey it, you can see the resistance in him he knows where this is you can ending. see the resistance but you can no also see what. him wear it like a suit of fucking armor it weighs yes. him oh, down it's just Always. pulling him down yeah that one part when he's when he calls out his name and it's just like ellen and you know he wants to say i love you and he doesn't say it because he knows that he's going to be okay he knows that he got him to where he needs to be and now you know obviously since we already threw you in here and told you a long time ago stop listening for full spoilers he knows that now him and joel need to go off and create a diversion which is such a fantastic diversion again that then it's a mold into them witnessing this uh, this amazing ascension they almost die in the process they do oh and that crash sequence yeah with the two of them fantastic the most poignant moment which really hit it home for me on my second or third watch is they eventually are taken to prison. The two gentlemen, Kirsten Dunst gets away. At least, at least from what we what we can, you know, what we saw at the end. And there's a moment in federal prison where Michael Shannon is standing. He's got two guards around him. He may be awaiting trial or whatever. I don't, you know, they, we don't really get any kind of real context of what's going on. 
He's, he's not really out in the yard, but he just seems to be on this walkway out in some Florida prison or Texas prison or wherever. The sun's on him, and he's looking out at the sky, and he's not saying a move or anything. And when you first see it, you just think maybe he's just thinking about the events that have happened. But if you look at it in the context of what we're talking about, this is basically a father who does not have a burial spot for his kid. He is looking up at the sky, now with the information that they're watching him, hoping that as he's looking up, his son is looking at him from another place that he can't see because he knows it's built on top. And for you know, he got to see everything everyone else saw. And now he knows where he is. But it's that moment that he's hoping that as he stands there in the sun and he's looking out, that maybe Alton is looking down at him. And if he, once you get to that point of yeah. watching the movie enough times and you see it, man, that scene is a thousand times more powerful than it is the so first dead. time you see it. It really is. Dad? Yeah. Are you scared? Yes. You don't have to worry about me. I like worrying about you. You don't have to anymore. I'll always worry about you, um, That's the deal. It's time to make some lists. All right, so this week's movie genre top five we're going to do is indie sci-fi films. Once again, we're in an odd week. That means Mr. LaPlante will start us off. Give us your top five indie sci-fi films. All right, all right, all right. So yeah, I'm going to start off right here with Mr. Robert Pattinson coming back from last week with High Life. Fantastic A24 movie That film. is all Very underrated. over Amazon Prime, if I'm not mistaken right now. Yeah, it is. If you get a chance to watch it, it's great. It is a sci-fi film about having a child that's about a father uh, and his daughter struggling to survive in deep space uh, where they're isolated. It's just a great world by Claire Denise. It is fantastic. I'm not, I don't want to really go into it much outside of that. Probably we'll get into it one day. But it's a great, great sci-fi film. Great recent sci-fi film. Love it. Agreed. Agreed. Was that will bring me into my number four, Looper. The fantastic Ryan Johnson film. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bruce Willis, they fucking kill it. Ryan Johnson is so fucking underrated. He has never, never done a disservice with his writing and directing Mm -hmm. ability. His first two movies are phenomenal. Brick and Looper, phenomenal. They're going to be on this podcast. Oh, yeah. 100% 100% came out with Brick detective noir film in a high school and then followed it up with I'm gonna fucking do my whole world of sci-fi I'm gonna build this sci-fi world that is so smart you mean people from the future send people to the past to be assassinated so they just disappear yeah so they disappear. time travel it's so fucking great oh, I love it but that will move me on to a directorial debut from a fantastic director that got marred by taking on a very large property that he should have never taken on. And then that is Duncan Jones with Moon, with uh, Sam uh, Elliott. So fucking Or not good. Sam Sam fucking Sam Elliott. Right. Fucking idiot. <laughs> fucking Christ. Yeah, Sam Elliott with his mustaches. Sam Elliott. He was there. Yeah, he didn't see Him it? and the dude. And he's just like, yeah. I'm on the moon. That was it. The movie ended right Sam Rockwell is what you meant. Sam Rockwell. 
such a fucking great movie. Duncan Jones just knocked it out of the park. He came right out of the get-go, just building this fantastic original story very close to 2001 Space Odyssey. It's so good. Sam Rockwell just is fantastic in this. It is a trippy mindfuck of a story. As yeah. it's, it's a slow burn. It is. It is a slow burn, but it's, it's, it's so enjoyable to watch from the entire time. Like, the first time I watched it, I remember actually owning a DVD copy of it and not even knowing back then that who the fuck Duncan Jones was. I remember finding out like years later, like, oh, it's David Bowie's son. It's so fucking good. I I love it. He plays the character so fucking fantastically. He should have been nominated that year for this performance because Sam Rockwell is a great actor, but a lot of his performances that of him as leads have been snubbed. He's always been kind of recognized, I feel like, as that supporting role where his lead roles have kind of fell to the wayside. But that will bring me into a close film to the last movie that we just did on our last podcast is Ex Machina from 2014. Fantastic sci-fi film. So fucking good. Oscar Isaac is just absolutely fucking amazing in it. It's the closest Kubrickian uh, sci-fi yeah. movie made in since Kubrick passed. It's so, very, yeah, very it Kubrickian. Really it's amazing. The disco scene in that is like that to me, the disco scene where uh, where Oscar Isaac dances with uh, the robot and they dance that disco song that they have going is so Kubrick. You could show me that scene of that movie back then. When I first watched it, I could have watched that and I would have been fucking sold right then and there. Well, Alex Garland, as we talked about two weeks ago, he is a modern day he master is. of the sci-fi world and he's you know put out two amazing movies. Can't wait to see what he has in store for us now. So that will bring me into my number one, the Academy Award winning, long time deserved, Mr. Bong Joon-ho's Snowpiercer is my number one indie sci-fi film. Hmm, it call. is fucking fantastic. If you haven't fucking seen it, watch it now. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix or if not on Netflix, on Showtime anytime right now. It is a great ensemble piece. It is a fantastic sci-fi dystopian world that all takes place in this enclosed space. Bong Joon-ho is an obsessed with the architecture of creating his films in these spaces. If you've obviously seen the award-winning Parasite, a lot of it takes place in this beautiful house. This takes place on a train, and it's just pretty much a hallway film. You know, you're moving the story from A to B. Well, we liked it enough that TNT is doing its own series about it, so... Don't watch the series. Fuck that series. I haven't seen it, and I haven't watched it. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, Matt is telling you not to watch something he has zero idea. I think Matt works for IMDb. I have no fucking clue about it. Are you part of the IMDb rating system? I'm not. I'm just saying that there's... Bong Joon-ho's version of this. Snowpiercer is such a fantastically perfect film that there's no need for it to be made into a TV series. I will give it a chance if someone wants to watch it with me or try to show it to me. I'll give it one shot. I'll watch the pilot. I don't think it'll win me over because, again, the ensemble cast of this film... Wang Ju-ho's writing, the directing, the cinematography of this film, just the special effects, the brutality of it is so fucking good. So many uh, people in this, Octavia Spencer, in this, then went on to win an Academy Award shortly after this. It was like, 
was so underrated and underappreciated for such a long time. He was appreciated by cinephiles and moviegoers that enjoy films like this, but just not looked at by award circuits and you know, outside of like critics giving, oh yeah, we're gonna give you a great review. But hey, when it comes to awards, you know, we're gonna, hey, Green Book, uh, you know, we're gonna give Green Book the you know, Oscar, you know. Yeah. Fuck Green Book. <laughs> and I'll pass it off to you because <laughs> right. I fucking hate Green Book. Well, we have two similar, but we have three completely different. So this will give us a total of, what is it, eight, I believe? Eight movies you can check out. So my number five is a movie that just recently came out in theaters about two years ago. But it came out on Hulu over the pandemic, and it is Prospect, a fantastic sci-fi thriller about otherworldly expeditions, and it stars Sophie Thatcher and the great Pedro Pascal. Uh, It's when I knew that Pascal was going to do a great job as the Mandalorian. And I don't want to get too much away about it uh, because I definitely know we're going to cover this. But just to give you just a little taste is they have to go on these. We're not in the same solar system. This is kind of a Star Wars feel to it, or even more of a Star Trek feel to it. We've left the solar system. They're somewhere else on other planets that you can mine. And this father and daughter have to go down to this planet to mine something to bring it back to get passage to another place things go awry and then Sophie and Pedro kind of get united and have to survive and it's so well shot it's great it feels like you're on a foreign planet much like they did with Annihilation but it's an excellent little uh, sci-fi thriller and I'm looking forward to actually doing it on this podcast because it's almost like a do-it-yourself kind of almost felt like homemade version of it but it was so well done very DIY yeah, so so amazingly well done. And Pedro is a fantastic actor. So underrated. He plays a bit of the anti-hero. He's kind of the villain, kind yeah. of the hero. Like, it's, he's borderline. It's really good to see him in a different role. My number four, you have on your list. I think it's your number three. But I also absolutely love Sam Rockwell and Moon. Oh, so good. Moon starts off, like, you start sitting, you're watching it, and you're like, okay, and it's slow. And then you start to get, you know, really engrossed by Sam's character and then the surprise of the movie happens and you're like what it just blows your fucking mind it blows your fucking mind it's so unbelievably amazing and uh, such a great such a great fucking movie and that's all I'm going to say about it because you've kind of talked to me about it but we're definitely going to do it and I don't want to give anything away about Moon my number three is another movie I know we're going to be doing because I've seen our list where we're doing for the year. Hey, you got a preview? Yeah. You can see the feature? It's a movie starring Scarlett Johansson called Under the Skin. So I really love this Fantastic kind of movie. Such a good movie. movie. The irony of it is in the Marvel world, she plays Black Widow. In this movie, she is the living embodiment of a Black Widow. It's fantastic. It's I don't want to get too much away of it either. It's really right now. It's crazy. It's it's uh, in heavy rotation. I think on Amazon Prime or maybe even Netflix or one of them. Because you know, as I'm going through things, I'm seeing holy shit, it's on there. Actually, last week, I don't know if there's still a sale. By the time you listen to it, it's probably two weeks later, so it won't be. But they were selling on iTunes for $4.99 these sci-fi movies, and I bought Annihilation. And under the skin, each for four ninety nine. So great fucking deal. So yeah, I've seen that same one. I got it actually. Also, oh good. And we will definitely be doing it sometime in the nearest future. More actually, sometimes towards the end of our first season. Let's we'll just say it there. My number two is your number two. We both picked Ex Machina as our number two, and. I mean, what more can we say? It's a fantastic movie. I mean, it's so good. Alex Garland did a phenomenal job with this. He did a phenomenal job with Annihilation. 
he has hit two home runs, in my opinion. They may not make really a lot of has. money. And as of this recording, I'm kind of upset that our Annihilation podcast has very low listenership to it. It kind of goes with what my stance was, that uh, some of the fanboys out there are sexist and don't want to maybe listen to something talking about female empowerment. But hopefully the ladies who have picked up our podcast, push it out, listen to it, get your lady friends involved. It's a movie based for ladies. And um, this is a, a woman empowerment uh, movie as well, Ex Machina. I won't give much away on that because we're going to get into yeah, that as well. Exactly. And that'll lead me to my number one, which as we were talking about Annihilation two weeks ago on my Alien Invasion movie, this was my number two. It's my number one here. It's District 9. I thoroughly love District 9. District 9 so is, good. speaking of budget, it's unreal. What they do in District 9 is phenomenal. It's a great retelling. It's a great retelling of almost the South African apartheid movement just in a completely it, different it really way. Is. It's basically the, telling it, apartheid it, without it being black and white. It's about yeah. human and aliens. An alien. That really is. It's so smart and uh, so underrated. Like, I feel like they put so much pressure on uh, the director of that film afterwards to produce more movies exactly like that when that was something that he had full creative control over and knew his vision. And yeah, you know, Neil Bloomkamp. Yeah. He didn't have like, you know, these A-list actors, you know, back then, you know, this guy uh, forgot his fucking name, but he was coming in uh, with his uh, like acting debut to the U.S. at the time of it. And now has blown up, you know, with doing a ton of films. Charlton Copley. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. Well, I, I like so Elysium good. too. I like the, uh, by Bloomkamp's Elysium. I thought that was pretty good as well. I do. I like Elysium. And even, um, what was the one that he did after that? He made Chappie. Chappie, yep. Chappie. He hasn't done anything since he, Chappie. He's very, very original. So, yeah. backstory to it, he got stalled up because he was supposed to be given his own alien yes, I remember spinoff. That. And that kind of derailed him for a while. And that's why we haven't seen anything from him since then. He's slowly, like, you know, there's been leaked, like, photos that he's put out slowly of, like, what his vision was to take Alien in his spinoff direction. I mean, it kind of derailed him because I feel like, you know, that was mainstream, you know, production companies trying to take him and just be like, listen, you're going to work with Ridley Scott's stuff in the middle of Ridley Scott trying to rebuild Alien and doing a very good job of it. Well, Bloomkamp, he did with uh, this movie what uh, George Romero did with Night of the Living Dead for talking about racial inequality and, and policing in America back in the late 60s. So there's our top five of those. This week, it's a bizarre feeling of who our actor is because, you know, he doesn't get enough credit, but you've seen him. No. And our top five Michael Shannon films. And you're like, Michael Shannon? Yes, he has actually been in some pretty great movies. He plays a great, oh, wow. great villain. My first real introduction to Michael Shannon was actually in the show Boardwalk Empire. He was phenomenal in that. And so since Carried then, through. oh, he was amazing in that show. The one thing I've noticed about Michael Shannon is his villains and his good guys are the polar opposites of each other. So he yeah, has real range. Really he could are. be the most evil, diabolical, sinister motherfucker. And yet, then almost being like this... This nurturing, like just... This all shucks like, guy, which is who he yeah. is in my first, and then my number five movie, which is Knives Out, where he plays the father to, once again, Jada Martell. So in another alternate reality, they didn't have <laughs> any of this stuff happen to him. They were just a normal, yeah. weird couple married into a very wealthy family. But he is such a great, like, oh, shucks kind of guy and, you know, down on his luck and, you know, nothing goes right his way. So and he's, he almost plays this really weird version of a modern day, like, you know, fuck up dad 
dad. You know what I mean? Like, he's just this guy who's like, oh, okay, yeah, you know. But he's great in that because he really tones everything down. He does. He tones down heavily. Uh, yeah, he's the sun in the shadow. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. He's definitely the sun in the shadow. Yeah. He's the fuck up. He's the one who just, <laughs> he's not like a bit major fuck up, but he's just like yeah. the one who never really reached any potential. He just kind of like, uh. realize he's a fuck up and he's like 48 years old and he's still just been in the shadow of this father. Well, not and, just that, but like the older siblings, either the daughter, yeah, someone, they've either done something amazing, they've all, the great yeah, or taken horribly off. wrong. And yeah, he's just kind of like there in the middle. and was like, kind of like, uh, you know, you're like, oh, okay. It's just another, it's another, yeah. Yeah. He's, him. Right, yeah, yeah, he's just the, yeah. the one that's like. Uh, he's like the C student, you know, he's not failing, he he's not surviving, he's, uh, he's the C. Uh, so in my number four, though, he plays something completely different. He actually plays a fictional character in some movie inside a book. It's crazy. But he plays this detective in Nocturnal Animals, which is a really good movie. Fantastic. It's a bizarre movie. It's all over the place a little bit sometimes, but it's got a great little premise. And Michael Shannon as a cop and a very kind of subdued cop. He's not, you know, over the top cop. He's not aggressive. He's not down on his luck. You know, this is the last day of the job kind of cop. You know, he just happens to be this fucking guy that they wrote in this story. I don't know. There's just something about him. He's he's just endearing in this. Now, did he get a nomination, or was it only um, he was nominated for an Oscar for this? I thought so. Support him. Yeah, because it's one of his few roles where he's not one extreme or the other. He actually finally does play a middle of the road character. He has a facial structure that makes him look evil. That's why he uh, he does such a great job as being a villain. Which parlays into my number three movie of Michael Shannon, and that is The Iceman, where Michael Shannon plays uh, a real life killer. And he is a brutal, brutal fucking killer. Sadistic, but yet doesn't play it over the top like he's a mafioso. Doesn't try to go for too much of the tropes that you get with all gangster movies. He actually plays it pretty right down the middle. I mean, he definitely has his manic moments. uh, But we get to get into the mind's eye of what a man, what a killer in the days of the heyday of the mafia really was like. And it's just his face and he has this fucking creepy ass goatee and his hair slicked back. And he's just fucking menacing the entire fucking film. My number two is from the Academy Award winning The Shape of Water, where he plays a real fucking piece of shit. A real piece of shit. Borderline Nazi um, who has captured this, this sea creature, basically the creature from the Blue Lagoon is what it's kind of uh, played after. He plays this government agent who just treats this poor creature like shit, tortures him, is a real fucking piece of shit, all because he doesn't understand him. He starts to fall for this young woman who ends up falling for the creature. And if you haven't seen the movie, we'll probably do it on here. But Michael Shannon is one of his most evil. He reminded me a lot of his character from the show Boardwalk Empire. And he really just digs into this character and is a real fucking cocksucker. And if you get to see the movie, you'll get to, you'll get to enjoy how, how it plays out. But man, it's one of his best uh, roles and I can't remember if he got nominated for this, but he should have been if he wasn't. It's a fantastic movie, and he has a fantastic performance. But my number one is one of my favorite uh, villains of his because it's also he goes against my favorite superhero, and that's the Man of Steel where he plays General Zod. And he plays Zod with such just anger and bravado, and he is just over the top. He does a great job of being that villain that a lot of you know, Superman's always been, you know, going up against either Lex Luthor or we always know about Zod. But when he was in the originals, he was played comically. Yeah, I want to say more maniacal, Just, more thought yeah. out. He's still like a thought, a thinking man, Zod. 
in the originals. In this one, he is like that almost militarized general, like he's yeah. supposed to be, and he plays it as if like, how dare you think yeah. that you're better than me? Yeah. You may have been on this earth, but I am trained to do this shit. Like I was created oh, yeah. for this. I was built you know? for this. I was yeah. assigned this role. Like yeah, this is the role that I was put in. Like I was born for. And how dare you? I mean, like, the fight sequences in the so movie are so good. Zack Snyder is so underrated. Uh, and let me tell you, folks, it's because of this movie. I'm sorry, all you Batman fans out there. I'm sorry. Fuck off. Batman could not do a goddamn thing to Superman. I know in the movies we they placate to you because, oh, Batman, fuck you. Batman will get obliterated. Fucking Superman, they're throwing trains at each other, all right? Batman has to come up with some bullshit lasso of krypton, all this horse shit to try to beat Superman. Stop it. He couldn't. He couldn't touch Superman, all right? Let's stop pretending he could. Let's stop placating to you fucking fans that think Batman can do anything to Superman. He can't. If you and you couldn't do anything to Superman, Zod would butt fuck you before you even got your shoes on, all right? Zod is actually probably a stronger person than, than Superman, but the only advantage that the Man of Steel had is that he lived on this earth longer and had a few advantages. That's about it. If they both came at the same time, it would have been... This world would have been ruled by Zod. That's all there is to it. That's what it would have happened. And Michael Shannon 100%. played an amazing Zod. I can't see anyone else playing him as good as he did. Everyone else would have even seen him. I think the fact that he was not as known made him the perfect choice to play General Zod in Man of Steel, which I fucking love. The other movies we won't even talk about. Man of Steel was fantastic. <laughs> and so those are my five. And now I kick it to Matt to close this out with his top five, Michael Shannon film. We're going to start this out at the same exact number five, with it being Knives Out, where these two play another father-son duo. A little bit different. The son's a right-wing Nazi. And despises his fucking father. And despises his father, who doesn't acknowledge that his son is a right-wing Nazi. (laughs) Because he's too busy having a failed career. He is fantastic in it as just like he's the oldest. Well, no, he's not the oldest sibling. He's the second oldest sibling in it. He is just like looking up to so highly of their father that he is so blinded by it that he's just obsessed with it. Like he doesn't care about anything else outside of the book rights and being able to put them out onto all these deals that aren't going to fucking happen. And he's pathetic, and it's great. He plays it so well. It's great to see the two of them together again. It's such an opposite of what we talked about today. There couldn't be a more opposite performance of these two being father and son than these two films. It's great. I love Knives Out. Again, Ryan Johnson just kills it he is so fucking good at making his worlds that he builds and writing these fantastic scripts i can't give kudos enough to wait away to him but michael shannon is just a fantastic actor that'll bring me to my number four film being the guillermo del toro fantastic film the shape of water shape of water so amazing he just is Great as this piece of shit agent trying to take them down. His scenes with him being such a asshole. And I forgot the name of the actress, and I apologize right now because I love her so much. Doing sign language and telling him to fuck you. And he's still just so oblivious. He's this bigoted, 
piece of shit, racist, asshole, abusive, like a total abuse of power. And he plays that so well. Obviously, he learned from playing it by doing Boardwalk Empire and playing a prohibition agent during Boardwalk and doing all these sorts of illegal activities, you know, back then. They weren't, it wasn't fair. You know, back then, it was pretty much the Wild West, the last of the Wild West, you know, the mafia were battling against the start of the FBI who were using tactics that were just pretty much like, like as Sean Connery, RIP, said in The Untouchables, like, oh, they beat up one of ours, we kill one of theirs. <laughs> and that will bring me to my number three being Nocturnal Animals, a very underrated Tom Ford film. Tom Ford is a fantastic writer and director. Yes, he is slightly overrated by the fact of that he is a major fashion designer so he can kind of pull in whoever he would like to put into his films but he has made two amazing films being a single man and nocturnal animals nocturnal animals is a fantastic movie michael shines here as the detective bobby he is so beautiful as the cancer-ridden detective in this film that just doesn't give a fuck. He just wants to correct and finish off his career the way he wants to. When he discloses to Jake Jill and all that he has cancer, and he's like, but you smoke. And he's like, yeah, that's how you get cancer. <laughs> like... That he's just that hard ass Texan. Just he doesn't give a fuck. He's like, well, they can put me in jail, but I'm gonna fucking die of cancer before they can put me to death and do whatever the fuck they want with me. I really don't give a fuck. I'm tired of pieces of shit getting away with the crimes they do all day, and he's gonna do whatever it takes. And he is so great at. Um, that'll bring me into another Oscar-nominated performance from him that he did not win for, that he should have won for, is Revolutionary Road. I forgot he was in that. He gets into your head, and it's crazy because that's exactly what his character is doing to Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet in the film, is he's this you know mathematician who's extremely smart that when we did a same asylum, and I always came back, and they're trying to you know bring him over to have him, you know, meet this younger couple and try to make their son get better. And he just unravels their dreams with just his brain. Like he sees straight through their bullshit. He's telling them reality when they are their dreamers. And when he is completely insane, yet extremely intelligent, he is phenomenal in it. And that will bring me to my number one being a Jeff film, Take Shelter. So fucking good. Take Shelter is a fantastic apocalyptic movie, yet it's just really based on Michael Shannon's character having these visions of having this oncoming apocalypse. It's just a fucking fantastic film. We definitely need to, you, we need to watch it. I'll rewatch it. It will definitely be talked about in this podcast. Cause I guarantee you after you see it, you're going to be fucking blown away. It is so fucking good. Watch this or die. And that will do it for this week's installment. We'd like to thank you again for hanging out with us and letting us gush all over you about this movie. Now we hope you will enjoy it as much as we have. 
So please let us know what you thought of this movie by reaching out to us on our social media platforms. Now we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watch This or Die. Feel free to DM us your thoughts on this week's movie, give us your own top five list, tell us what you did or didn't like about the show, or even suggest some movies to us. You can also email us at WatchThisOrDiePodcast at gmail.com. Now we hope you will join us again next week for our next movie recommendation. And as always, I'm Scott Crowshire. And I'm Apple Plant. Until next time, watch this or die.